Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. So, uh, hi, Andrew. Hi, Pete. Uh, that sounded phony. Try that again. Hi, Andrew. Hello, Pete. That was that was better. I like the enthusiasm a little bit more. I like that a lot more. It makes me feel like I'm on a 1940s kids TV, uh, <laughs> like kids program. Maybe well, something. Let's try. Let's try one more time. I'm really gonna nail it this time. Hello, Andrew. Oh, hi, Pete. There we go. <laughs> Waiting for that one. You you are you are a color you are a colorful character whose name starts with a howdy, <laughs> howdy kids, or maybe a deputy, <laughs> deputy Andy. De- it's deputy D E P apostrophe deputy. Okay, what do we? You have some things that you'd like to get off your chest, right? First of all, we should say if you're listening live, this is a big deal. This is new before you before you launch into we launch into therapy. Um, if you're listening live, uh, you can uh, jump in on our conversation through Twitter. Just uh, just send us a question using the hashtag TNR Live. TNR Live. TNR as in the next, the next reel, because that's what they're listening to, right? Right. That's right. Welcome to the next reel, everybody. Welcome to the next reel, everybody. Uh, that's Andy, Deputy Andy over there. I'm Pete. <laughs> And uh, we're going to talk about a movie tonight. We're continuing our our uh, saga, our uh, interstellar saga of original science fiction films this month. And we're very excited uh, uh, to talk about uh, Moon, 2009 Moon. Absolutely. From the um, fantastic son of, son of Bowie. That's right, Zoe. Son, son of Bowie? Zoe Bowie. Zoe Bowie. That's his name. We're talking about Zoe Bowie tonight. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's how I always I'm, knew him. I didn't know his name was Duncan. I was. That's what I was gonna say. I don't. I don't know. Where we are? We gonna go there with Zoe Bowie? David Bowie's awesome. Oh, yes, he uh, is. Okay, so we're gonna talk about in 2009 Duncan Jones. Um, Duncan Zoe. Is, is it Zoe or Zowie? Really? It's Zoe. It's Zoe. Yeah. Duncan Zoe Haywood Jones, mm-hmm. uh, 2009 film Moon, starring Sam Rockwell. Very excited about this film. Uh, and uh, if you want to learn more about the show, head over to thenextreel.com, and you can find all the various ways to contact us uh, on the contact page there, uh, nextreel.com slash contact. Um, f- before we jump too far into uh, science fiction stuff, uh, where do you, you did did I ever? I, I know we had a little bit of a disagreement over the um, Hunger Games. Yeah, uh, well, I I thought it was kind of fair to Midland, and you were I was offended. I was upset. offended. Yeah, you were yeah. quite upset. You yeah, you you really uh, took took it to task that time, didn't you? I did. 
I really did. And I just want to report back to you, and I'm inspired uh, to report back to you by uh, uh, Sarmento's post on the blog. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't headed over to the uh, or been over to the slash blog you got to go over there. Uh, Steve Sarmento is uh, a is from <laughs> you may know from his uh, hit role on the Film Board. Um, <laughs> is blogging uh, with us over there now. And he, he wrote this post about this uh, young adult literature publishers pushing uh, their films. And I wanted to, to uh, first of all, say that I uh, take some of my angst back. <laughs> uh, I read the first book. Of right? The Hunger Games? Of The Hunger Games. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did, right? Yeah, no, it was my daughter made me. She was caving to peer pressure at school, and I was caving to peer pressure from her. Wow. Uh, and so I, I read the book while she's been away in China, and I have to tell you, I was pretty excited about it. Yeah, oh, like, interesting. I was, I was into it, and so I take back a little bit of what was said in the movie. I'm, I've softened a bit in my old age, or maybe I am truly numb to violence now, and I just don't care about that stuff anymore. Maybe that's what's happened. Yeah, I'm okay with that. But uh, the the his post on there. Have you have you read this uh, Divergent series? No, I haven't. You haven't read anything on this. I haven't I either. Haven't. Um, but it looks an awful lot like the Hunger Games. <laughs> like the cover <laughs> art is the flaming circle and. Well, isn't that how it goes? I mean, Harry Potter broke it broke big. And all of a sudden, there was a wide yeah. variety of young adult fiction novels that looked very similar. And now they're going for the Hunger Games thing. And then Twilight, too. It's like they kind of each tap into something and everyone else tries to jump yeah. on the bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where we are. It's a good post in there. A bunch of, 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 uh, uh, a bunch of books in there that uh, Steve pulls out that I have not heard of. So I'm excited to... I, I'm never uh, ahead when these movies come out. Like, I... Harry Potter, I guess, was one that I was I, I had read before I'd heard that the movie was coming. But everything else, like I hadn't read before the movie comes out. And I'm, I'm looking forward to Steve keeping us on track so that I can maybe stay ahead when some of these books get made into film. So, yeah, I I, I don't clamor uh, for the young adult fiction too much these days. But if something does cross that line, like Harry Potter seemed to, then that's I'll right. I want to be. It's not like I really. I'm like I'm really hungering for it right now it's, it's that i want to be ahead right i want to be i want to be ahead of the curve i hear you as an older man you want to be tapped into that younger generation I, <laughs> I gotcha not, it makes you feel younger you you said that not me <laughs> um so that's the first thing i wanted to say what i uh let's see did i do we have any uh facebook updates um no well no facebook updates um that I know like of. Follow. Well, they I, were just just to go to Facebook because we're also uh, posting lots of wonderful little links and and um, comments that don't make the blog. We should be better probably about that. Um, and uh, so you should check out the Facebook page. Make sure you like us on the Facebook page. And thank you to all of our newest uh, listeners from around the world who have found us through the Facebook page. We sure appreciate your likes and your votes. And uh, stick around, listen to the show too. And you can go over to iTunes and leave us uh, some nice feedback there. We always uh, love getting feedback on iTunes, some, some uh, you know, five-star ratings and reviews. That's how other people find us. And if you leave us a, a five-star review, we will read it on the air for you. We will. 
That's something we make do. you famous. Mm-hmm. That's what we do here. All right. Shall we? Uh, do you have uh, other? Did you have something you wanted to say? I have a couple things that I just wanted to All talk right, about, and uh, and I'll likely post these on on our blog or on Facebook. Um, a couple things that people had been uh, kind of you know blasting around that were I thought quite funny. The first is this uh, post I found it on Petapixel. Shopped still, photoshopped stills from action movies with guns replaced with thumbs up. <laughs> and I don't know, it just in the in the in the whole thing of like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg changing their movies and removing things and everything. For some reason, these photos and they they named the whole series Thumbs and Ammo. They they named the or they have this whole series like Pulp Fiction, The Terminator, Reservoir Dogs, Looper, Star Wars, Rambo, The Matrix, Scarface, Skyfall. I mean the list goes on of all these films where they've removed the gun, the gun, and it's just a person. It, the person is just giving thumbs up, and it just it takes this whole you know this violence of the of the weapons and everything and it turns it into something that's really funny and it just makes everything seem so much happier <laughs> i'm looking at it right <laughs> isn't it it's fantastic isn't it <laughs> oh my goodness. He's oh, the uh, reservoir dogs with the two of them just like thumb thumbs upping each other ah i just love it it's absolutely <laughs> tom, awesome tom hanks in uh, uh finding danny devito what's his name what's it called finding finding danny know, devito find, where was he in the world where he was searching for matt damon <laughs> Of saving private rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a whole website, thumbsandammo.blogspot.co.uk. This is fantastic. It's it's really, really Dude, awesome. This is for you. It's the Judge Dread. <laughs> it's Stallone. <laughs> yeah. So we'll 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 put this up on our site. That was just one thing that just absolutely made me really happy because it just everything about it's fun. Oh, that's perfect. The other thing, which I just I find interesting, and I just I just wanted to chat for a, a minute about it with you because I think it's so fascinating. You've heard now about the um, that uh, now I'm going to blank on the name of the movie because the website's not coming up. But how how uh, Kickstarter is turning into something where people are able to, you know, raise money for all sorts of movies, yeah. uh, and whether it's independent films. Yeah, the, Veronica Mars is the big one. Veronica right Mars, thank you. That was the name of it. And that's that's the big story is like all of a sudden now there's this big film that was a, a TV show that lasted a few seasons. It has its followers. And now it's it's you know gotten, I think at last check, it's over $3 million. And they were looking for $2 million. Yeah. And so tons of people are funneling money into this movie that Warner Brothers is going to distribute. And so it's, it you know, I don't know. It's like, is there this weird possibility that movies like that could come around where people not only pay to get it made, but then the studio essentially has kind of a free ride with the project. They didn't pay anything to make it. They're going to distribute it and make the money on it because then people are going to pay again to go watch the movie. Seems like an interesting situation that is being created. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what you're like, are you, what what part about, I mean, you sound skeptical about some angle here. I, I'm skeptical. Of, uh, you, you think you know, the studios not, are getting away with uh, with they're getting away with uh, with doing I don't, doing I don't part? think I don't think they're getting away with anything yet. 
I just, I'm just curious if it's going to turn into something where they're able to start getting away with things. Where essentially, you know, they, if, if people are interested in something, we end up funding the film to get it made. Mm -hmm. The studio, you know, puts it out into the world and then they make the money. They're not really putting any, any money up for projects anymore. It seems like it could potentially create a strange situation where basically studios aren't making aren't spending any money making movies they're just basically making money on movies that people paid to make and then paid to watch well so then what's the studio argument there right okay um it's it is you're right it's expensive to like it's typically historically been our job as a studio to finance these films get them made and shepherd them through distribution uh but as we talk about on the show often um there there really are two halves to this this you know to this puzzle, right? There is the financing of the film and there's distribution. Distribution is expensive too, particularly on films that are, that are essentially spec films, right? That's, that's what Kickstarter films are. So they've raised $3.7 million right now, almost $4 million for this movie. How much would you think that Warner brothers would be willing to put into distribution of a film if they can keep it, you know, I don't know what the, uh, how realistic it is to keep that, or how much well, Rob Thomas is found in other finance, uh, other you know, you know, other sure, arrangements sure. Of finances. other financials, right? Right. I I don't know. I'm very curious. I mean, is that all they're going to spend on the mo- on the movie? Is that it? Yeah. I mean, distribution deals tend to be something where you know, I I guess it depends on on how you work it out. But it could be like a fifty fifty deal where, or or maybe it'd be more like a you know an eighty twenty deal where. The person who's doing the distribution gets 80% of the profits. You get a small 20% until they have recouped all of their expenses that they put into right. their actual distribution. And then it moves to like more of a 50-50 sort of split sort of thing. You know, I, don't, I honestly have no idea how they're going to work this sort of thing. I'm very curious. But the other side of this coin is, aside from this dilemma of studios now getting into a, a source like Kickstarter um, and what that means for them... But what does it mean for the independent filmmaker who's trying to raise money to make a, a film now that they're going to be competing against Warner Brothers, who's raising money on Kickstarter? But see, is it's not really Warner Brothers raising money on Kickstarter. It's not Warner Brothers. You're right. I mean, You're... this is this is Rob Thomas, the former you know creator and showrunner of the show. And I, I you know, I haven't. Uh, Maybe it's a different perspective on Veronica Mars specifically because Rob happens to be very dear friends with another dear friend of mine. And mm-hmm. so I don't know Rob directly, but I do know, you know, a lot more about him than I normally would other people in right. the industry. And and so, um, you know, I find this project exciting because it's uh, it, it shows that uh, it shows that the the weight of the fan but at the same time, let's say this project is is funded and he spends his $4 million to make this movie and they make a great movie. Um, what they have is word of mouth based on, you know, right now, 57,000 people who are going to go see this movie. If we mm-hmm. assume that the people who back the film are going to go see it. And right. once they sell this thing to Warner Brothers, they actually are able to distribute it, you know, let's say worldwide and, and, and do that. And so it's like that other half of the puzzle that I know he's going to be looking for. Yeah, we can make the movie, and we know that our diehard fans are going to help us get it done. But then we have to get it out there to people who aren't diehard fans, so that this this intellectual property will actually move forward. Yeah, yeah. 
Because I, I, I think there's legs. I mean, I was never really. I'm not a huge Veronica Mars fan. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. I don't know if it's something that I would pay to see. I mean, I, I don't think I was ever really interested in the show or in watching a movie. If yeah. they did it with, with, if they did it with Firefly, maybe you know, I might oh. be more interested then. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, and you know, I really don't know. I'm just kind of just throwing it out there because I find it an interesting situation that this big, you know, kind of a studio TV project is all of a sudden now being, being funded by fans. And I'm just curious where it's going to lead things. And I, I really don't know. I, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see how Veronica Mars does the, the movie version mm -hmm. and, and what follows? Is it going to be more studios? Is Kickstarter going to be more difficult for a small independent filmmaker to get something made? This, my understanding of all the independent films that have been uh, crowdsourced through Kickstarter, this is the only one that has actually made over a million dollars um, of pledges. Right. And maybe it's the only one that's had a goal that high in the first place. I don't know. I had a friend who funded a feature. He raised, I think, 24,000 or his, his goal was 24,000. He, he raised like, you know, 30,000 or something like that. And he got a feature made out of that. You know, I, I, I'd love to see Rob Thomas do that, but you know, that's chances of that are probably slim. Well, you know, I, I, I just think that there is, there, there's something to be said for where, for, for where this goes. And I'm, I'm all in favor of some of the more, um, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Silicon Valley ecosystem kind of has a way, or so let's say this: this, you know, the web has a way of meeting out um, the the big names from the do-it-yourselfers at home, right? Yeah, right. And Rob Thomas is an industry guy, and he he's up here, air hands way above my head, and there are those who are shooting for the thirty grand to to do something more modest and maybe Kickstarter isn't going to be the, the storehouse for all of those to compete against one another. Uh, I have a feeling if this gets to be a problem, um, you know, another tool will come up. There will be more money for this to be made from, uh, you know, from creating, from creatives. I don't think Kickstarter has to be the only place. Um, no. But I, I just, I love the, uh, have you read through any of the, the wins or like the prizes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, no, it's interesting. People can be an extra. People, a, I mean, yeah, you'll get a lot. You can be a speaking part, right? Speaking yeah. part. You're, you're, you are a waiter or waitress. You approach the table and you say, your check, sir. We guarantee you'll be on camera as you say the line, unless you go all hammy and ruin the scene and we have to cut <laughs> you out. But that would be a sad day for all of us. Just say the line. Don't overthink it. You're the waiter. Your motivation is to turn over the table. In addition to appearing in the movie, you get a framed copy of the page of the script that includes your line. <laughs> in order to get that, you have to give $10,000, which somebody yep. did. Yep. I saw him interviewed on the news. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, that's great. Yep. Uh, so there are some, there are some great, there are a boatload, boatload of these prizes, uh, in this. It's got one of the longest prize lists on Kickstarter I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're for big chunks of money too. I mean, yeah. it goes, it ranges. Well, it's right. you, you, you know, can, it's fairly modest. I mean, you know, I think from 10 bucks to 10,000, yeah. 750, the, those over 3,000, uh, well, let's see, 1,000. Most of them are under a thousand, but still, who's gonna? How many people are gonna give seven hundred fifty bucks that you know to Veronica Mars? I would not None. give that much money. Fifty people did, and they're all gone now. They're all gone now. I love the uh, ten dollar pledge. You'll be sent a PDF of the shooting script the day the movie is released. Read it or remain unspoiled. The choice is yours. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. 
it's interesting. I, I'm curious to see where this goes. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with this now. You know, yeah. if if other fan uh, shows that have big fan followings, like you know Sarah Sarah, Chronic, Sarah Connor Chronicles, that was one that uh, Joe Blow pointed out was a big fan favorite that mm-hmm. got canceled. Is that something could see the light of the day? Who knows? I, I'm curious to see where this goes. I'm also curious to see how it affects uh, the studio funding, and I'm also curious to see how it affects other independent filmmakers raising money. So that's yeah. all. I'm. I'm yeah, I think, my, I've said know, my piece. I think your piece is fantastic. I'm excited about. This one angle of it, which is that the audience has a voice in the content that is being created in this industry before the content is created, right? What would it be like if the studios put all of their films, uh, all of their projects for the coming, you know, five years up on a site and let us vote on them before they actually sunk all the money into making them? Right. What you know what I mean? Like how would that change the the narrative of the industry? I'd be interested in that. I feel like that's in many ways what Kickstarter is doing in this in this area. Yeah, it's doing uh it it is doing something like that that it's it in a way it's almost like a guarantee uh guarantee the money's there. I mean, it's guaranteed to already be pleasing some people because you know those people who donate who have already contributed that quantity of money they're going to be in line watching it when it comes out. So you already are guaranteed that audience. Yep. It's it's pretty interesting. All right. All right. Uh, What's your, you have another thing you want to talk about. Is that it? Those are the two things. All right. Let's talk about some trailers briefly, shall we? You trumped me, first of all. (laughs) I did, huh? That was my trailer. And then you sent this email and says, I found my trailer. (laughs) <laughs> well, why don't you talk about why don't you talk about it? I'll watch I'll talk about this one that I was no. just texting you about. Uh-uh. I'm going to talk about now I have a new trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I I want to talk about this new trailer. Mm-mm, you talk about your trailer. All right. No, now you're now you own it, man. Well, I just was excited because, you know, we had just talked about Danny Boyle mm-hmm. and I just saw uh, the trailer for Danny Boyle's new film Trance, which Really looks quite uh, uh, horrifying in its red band glory. Yeah, the red band trailer, that's true. So the link in the show notes uh, on the website. Uh, definitely check it out. It's not the trailer that I expected from the um, blurb. No. So the blurb. Let me just read the yeah, blurb. Yeah, read the blurb. An art auctioneer who has become mixed up with a group of criminal partners uh, with a uh, or criminals partners with a hypnotherapist in order to recover a lost painting. That's that's what we get. Right. But it's a Danny Boyle film, and so it's Red Band. It's a Red Band art auctioneer film. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I'm quite excited to see it. Rosario Dawson looks great in it. And it really looks like it has some interesting twists and some really kind of gory stuff going on. So, uh, you know... I, I'm excited to see what Danny Boyle does with this, what he brings to the table. That James uh, McAvoy, mm-hmm. I like him. He's good. I like him quite a bit. Uh, I He's think, better when he doesn't walk around with goat legs. I, yeah, definitely. I I, I was really uh, sad coming out of when he, I, you know, and I wanted for me as a guilty pleasure uh, film. I enjoyed the bending bullets thing. That's That's a fun little trope, but... I was genuinely disappointed that he came off of Last King of Scotland and did Wanted. Like, I was hoping for a little bit more substance. And I, yeah. you know, I worry that he's kind of in there now. Yeah. 
Uh, so I, I'm hoping for some good stuff out of this film, some good meat. I hope so. I hope so. You know, it looks really fascinating. It's got that that crazy French guy. <laughs> oh. What's his name? Uh, he's been in uh, a good number of shows. <laughs> Vincent yeah, Vincent Cassell. Cassell. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is so crazy. Yeah, he he definitely is a a creepy creepy guy, and he seems to play that pretty well. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. great in Black Swan. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So that's awesome. Anyway, that's my trailer. All right, mine is uh, I know very very little about it, uh, but I that trailer just came out today, and I find myself really moved by it. Um, it is called The Last Kings of Summer. It is due out in uh, June of this year. Uh, director Jordan Voigt, Vogt, Vogt, Vogt Roberts. Jordan Vogt Roberts. Uh, writer uh, Chris Galletta. Um, and it is about these three boys who are unhappy. It's a coming-of-age tale. Three boys who are unhappy with the way their lives are leading, and they're over. one of them has a overprotective dad and so they decide to go build a home in the woods and live on their own Mm -hmm. and um, the trailer is just quips and uh, the three boys uh, making some impromptu music with sticks on a pipe uh, for a minute and I am I just love it it feels just like summer to me just like my youth I I found myself really touched um the i don't know i i hadn't heard of the kids nick robinson gabriel basso and uh, moises arias uh but it is uh, also starring the lovely allison brie from mad men and um, uh, community uh, uh nick offerman the fan- fantastic comic uh character actor and megan mullally who i haven't seen in a whole lot of substance since will and grace um and of course, uh, Marilyn, uh, Ra- I'm going to mess this up. Rajskub, Rajskub yeah. uh, is in this. Strangely, she was uh, the the last I remember really seeing her uh, was as uh, Chloe O'Brien in 24. Oh, yeah. Um, and she was also in uh, uh, Mr. Show, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, I believe you're right there. So um, so it's got a really interesting cast of uh, the, the you know, bigger named supporting cast. Um, but it... it just one that's got a very nice sort of touching teaser, and I think it's worth watching. So, hmm, interesting. I'll yeah. have to check that one out. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, should we go from the woods to a little uh, original sci-fi? Yeah, let's. Let's do it. I'm excited about this movie. Why are you so excited about this movie? I'm glad you asked. I really <laughs> am. I'm genuinely glad you asked me that. Um, so we're talking about Moon. Uh. Duncan Jones Moon 2009 and when you there there are a number of things that strike me about this movie the the first is um like last week's movie um talking about sunshine first of all how great is it that we go from sunshine to moon oh i know it's great right i didn't even think about that until i was watching the movie i thought we're we're really quite clever um this film i think um I think Sam Rockwell's portrayal of this film is really unique. Uh, this it it is not an original sci-fi film until about a half hour in. That first half hour is okay. We're gonna celebrate how hard it is to be alone in space. Right, right, right. So there's there's we're we're alone in space. We've got a robot, uh, Kevin Spacey, that um, you know swings around on this arm from the ceiling and kind of takes care of things. Kind of the robot, Kevin Spacey Butler, and. 
generally, I since I am a fan of Sam Rockwell, I enjoy walk, watching him walk around his uh, this this place. Um, I, I buy into that, but it's not necessarily original. And then Sam Rockwell appears again, <laughs> and it starts getting really interesting. And, and I think one of the things I like the most about this is the way the film plays uh, the paranoia uh, delusion, delusional elements that come from solitude with genuine intrigue. Yeah. Uh, that in the end, spoiler alert, it turns out he wasn't delusional. Like he yeah. wasn't crazy. And I, he, they could have easily gone down that road. And I tend to be one of the more sort of practical, literal, uh, you know, viewers. And I'd like to see, I don't like to be tricked as often as as I think filmmakers like to trick me. Um, and, and in this film, I, th I thought it was really satisfying to watch the way Sam Rockwell plays with himself on screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really not that kind of a film. But it's not that kind of a film. <laughs> I, uh, the, the other uh, piece of this is I think the, the visuals, I think, again, are, uh, are something to kind of celebrate. I, I, I think they... They play a little bit with the the sci-fi trope, uh, and and particularly some of the 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 engineering marvel of having this base on the moon with perfect gravity. Um, I, I don't think they ever actually address that, um, but he seems to sleep in a dorm room, and everything seems to stick to the ground just fine. Yeah, they they address that in the commentary, just regarding the budget it really was not feasible to create moon gravity right. the entire duration of the film. So they only do it, like, really, you only see it one time, and that's when he's hopping from one uh, rover to the other right. as, as he's hopping across the, the moon. And yet, uh, right, and, and uh -huh. for me, at least, I didn't find myself distracted by that. Um, you know, it was until yeah. the second or third viewing, and I was... I, I thought to myself, wow, you know what he's not doing is floating. Uh, well, yeah, and it's one of those things where I guess you see so many sci-fi films that once they're indoors, yeah. our brains, like ever since the whole idea of, of you know, sci-fi, you know, stories have existed, it's almost as if once they go inside a building, they have some sort of gravity, right. artificial gravity that's in place that's making them, right. uh, that making making regular Earth gravity, just like sunshine. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, there's there is no real artificial gravity that's been discovered yet but all of these people create you know we, they use that as something that we just buy right. into right um I, but but in terms of the visuals in terms of the general celebration of the of the uh, of the genre uh, i you know i love the way uh, jones and cinematographer uh, gary shaw play with angles in this film and it really starts with the opening credits i think you know i'm i'm sort of brought in to the um you know, to the film in a really satisfying way. It's, it, you know, we start with this sort of docu-commercial, um, mm -hmm. you know, about the search for power and how we've discovered this helium-3, um, you know, by mining the sun on the moon, essentially. Yeah. And so we put this this facility on the moon, and it turns out, as we transition at the end of this commercial to the opening credits, um, this fantastic montage of really beautiful angles. Uh, with the credits kind of uh, floating 
uh, along these wonderful angles, uh, you know, sort of illustrating the set pieces on the moon where we're going to explore Sam Rockwell's character through the course of this film. And I I found that really satisfying. Like, I think they really established where we are uh, and how we get around and the kind of mechanics early and quickly. So by the time we're introduced to Rockwell, uh, Rockwell's character, um, Sam Bell, um, you know, I think he's, I'm, I'm bought in and I'm bought in for the duration. I didn't feel like the film, uh, fell apart in the third act. I felt like, uh, you know, the, the, um, the action and rescue sequence was very satisfying, uh, watching them sort of puzzle this out together as Sam Rockwell's prime. Sam one and two. Sam one and two star Sam one starts to deteriorate, um, or technically, Sam five and six. Yeah, <laughs> it, you're right, and out. you know that's a really good point. Like this whole thing is a is a um, it's kind of a shell game. You know, I mean, it's it's can you keep an eye on the real Sam Rockwell? Um, because there are turns. You mean out a you lot. mean Sa- Sam Bell? Sam Bell. Yeah, this that's going to be hard. <laughs> Sam and Sam and Sam, Sam and, and Sam. Sam. All of the Sams, uh, and I I found that really satisfying. So I, I'm. Uh, what about you? I I really enjoy this film. This is a film that I, I think proved to me that you can do a low-budget science fiction film. It, so often filmmakers who are uh, working with a small amount of money, independent filmmakers, um, they, you know, making a genre film tends to be something that's easy to sell. And for whatever reason, horror is the the genre that is most often uh, gone to. I think it's it's easy to make low budget horror films. It's uh, there are a lot of people in Hollywood in the in the studio system today that are there because they started in low budget horror films. It seems to be kind of uh, widely accepted. Making a low budget science fiction film, I think, is a lot more challenging. For some reason, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they're as prevalent, but. It excites me when I see one, and it excites me when I see one uh, that is actually uh, quite a good story, too, and has a lot of good elements to it. I think what this team did in this story, uh, you know, both coming from uh, Duncan's direction and then his his working on the story with Nathan Parker, who ended up writing the script, uh, they told a really elegant tale about this person uh, living on this moon base. And then this story about, in a way, I find it, it's about um, what does it mean to be an individual uh, on one side. And then on the other side, it's this fascinating story of corporate greed and what uh, and how corporations view their workers and use them. And I found it a really interesting, insightful film looking at it that way and how this corporation really abuses this one person who, in a way, is part of the system, I guess you could say, at least Sam Bell, number one. Yeah, Sam, like, I, you know, in that respect, we we don't really ever meet Sam Bell. We don't meet Sam Bell, and we don't know if he knows that these these clones are up there. I assume that he knew. Mm-hmm. That if, I don't know. If it's never really pointed out in one direction or the other. I just always assume he does and that he probably said, yeah, sure, whatever, and made a ridiculous amount of money on it and now just lives at peace on Earth with all of his money and his daughter and memories of his dead wife and uh, and just ignores the fact that these clones are up there. That is, I, I think, uh, that piece of it, um, is that's the bittersweet piece of it for me that when you talk about this being a tale of corporate greed, uh, it is also to me, 
operating on the assumption that you know Sam Prime actually did know what he was doing and was you know and and went home after three years and was properly remunerated for his you know for his DNA right um, knowing that he just walked away from it and left this project going on the moon at the expense of these uh, of these beings that were considered property yeah. Uh, property that expires. I mean, that's the part that is that to me is of the technology that was truly horrifying. Watching Sam Five, or the the first Sam Bell that we meet, right. deteriorate through the third act, I thought was really stunning. Yeah. Well, and I guess we watch him deteriorate through the whole. Thing. I mean, he's having these delusions uh, in and talking he's to really, himself and really he's struggling. really breaking down. Yeah, he's breaking down from the moment we meet him. Uh, and only in the third act we realize that these are these this this is happening because he's got an expiration date. Yeah, it's in a way it's fascinating because Duncan Jones clearly is tapping into a wide variety of science fiction films. I mean, he brings up a lot of the films that he really loves that 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 he's referencing, um, like Silent Running, Outland, Alien, Two Thousand One, Solaris. But you can also see elements of Blade Runner in here. There's a lot of great classic, you know, 70s and earlier sci-fi that he's really tapping into here to kind of create this vibe. And I think there is something interesting going on in science fiction. Um, it seems more so then than now, uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But the way that you could really examine kind of human psychology through a science fiction story. I mean, I remember reading science fiction when I was younger and some of the, the tales really were designed to look at modern society or look at, you know, what makes a person uh, who they are and all that sort of stuff. And they, that's why I think science fiction is such an interesting genre, uh, whether it's literary or, or, or cinema. And I think that's something that he really tapped into with what he was pulling from and then the way that they developed this. I, I find that expiration date of these people just horrifying. And uh, much like Blade Runner, you know, these these uh, beings that that do expire and you watch and you watch uh, Rutger Hauer expire <laughs> at the end of the film there. And it's just heartbreaking as 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 terrifying of an antagonist as he is through. Uh, particularly the third act of the film, but then you get to that moment at the end, and he's got just that the most amazing the tears, there. tears yeah. in the rain, yeah, uh, soliloquy, and 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 then he expires, and that's it. And same thing here; it's 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 a little more uh, gruesome, <laughs> kind of falling apart that uh, Sam Bell is doing. But, nearly, uh, nearly comical, and that's one of the most interesting thing I think things about Sam Rockwell is that you know there. I feel like I have a hard time sometimes see, taking him as seriously as I think he needs to be taken in some of mm. these roles and watching him fall apart in this film, watching that version of him fall apart. It, 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 it almost, it's almost funny. Um, yeah. and, and it, you know, it reminds me of just over the top sort of, you know, God, I'm trying to think of what else he, you know, maybe it was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. Something's just over the top. Um, yeah. No, he's kind of an over top, over the top yeah, guy. He's an over the top guy. And, and, uh, I think in, in this case, 
Um, I, you know, you don't get the, I, I think what I needed, it's that last conversation where, uh, you know, the two Sam Bells have, and the, the new Sam Bell, Sam Bell 6, is, has come up with his plan to send the old Sam Bell home in the, in the gas launch chamber. And they're having this conversation about how, you know what, you have a great plan, but you picked the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. You're the one who needs to go. You need to go. You need to travel. And I, I think I don't want to lay this all on Sam Rockwell because I think part of this is that is a scene that I, I feel like I needed a tears in the rain kind of a yeah. speech from this film. This this film is is generally somber and serious and um and it's full of that same kind of of grit, less action but more grit and. I I feel like that's where it was. It, it ended up feeling a little bit anemic to me. No, and I agree. That's that's toward the end of the film. It always kind of dies a little bit for me. I, I just don't feel like I get a climax. I feel like it's a fascinating science fiction tale that I hear here, you know. And I really enjoy what they're doing. I enjoy everything about it. But I never feel um, that the third, that the final element of the third act really builds to a satisfying climax. I enjoy it. I enjoy what it does, but I just, I always feel like there should be a little more there. And I, I don't know if it's the script or if it's Sam, but, um, I, I tend to blame it on the script. I feel like there needed to be something a little more with the script going on there. I really like Sam Rockwell in this and, and, you know, thinking about this in context of the year, of, uh, 2009 when this came out, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, some people have a, a harder time with him than I do, I think, but I, I really enjoy what he did here. And I feel like there maybe should have been some, uh, more, uh, award recognition for what he was doing here. I think his performance opposite himself, uh, for my money was, was pretty amazing. I really enjoy watching him in this film. Uh, absolutely agree. And I think, you know, as as far as I, I may have started nitpicking a little bit early, I, I do put, I think, most of it onto the onto the script um, for the third act, because I still love the, I think what really stands up to me and for me in the third act is just the way they, uh, uh, the way the visuals sort of all come together of the, um, you know, the last minute redirection of the uh, rover uh, mm-hmm. so that they, so that he ends up knocking down the, uh, the the uh, signal blocking tower, you know, that they had put up, and the way that uh, the way that Sam one or Sam five is watching uh, his replacement, the younger Sam, as he jettisons off the moon uh, while he is slowly running out of uh, life mm-hmm. um, in the at the crash site. I mean, I I find those the close ups on his eyes, yeah. uh, and then the POV from him into space is just. Uh, it's really, uh, boy, it just sort of takes your breath away. Well, and for me, it's the scene when he drives from, because their base is on the dark side of the moon. He drives around kind of to the other side of the moon uh, so that he can see Earth and he can be in direct communication range. And he calls his daughter and he has a conversation oh. with, well, he calls his house. He doesn't know who he's going to get. He thinks he's going to get his 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 wife. He gets his grown-up daughter, who's 15 years old now, who he thought 
you know, for what, as far as he knew from watching the, the messages that he'd been receiving was a little, a little baby still. And he, and, and to top it off, the wife had been dead for a number of years and it really threw him for a loop. But that the, the emotion that he expresses there in that scene, as he realizes that this is his grown up girl and that his wife is dead and all of this. And then that the real Sam Bell is right there. It's, it's, I mean, it really breaks your heart. His reaction in that scene to me is just some of the best of the year. Well, specifically, uh, I totally agree with you when he, uh, begins to refer to her as if he was talking to his three-year-old daughter. Yeah. Right. right. Um, as he's talking to her as if she's just a woman who answered the phone and then he switches, it's like the light switch and he right. says, he's like, when what? did mommy die, uh, right. honey? Yeah. When did she? And he starts really talking to her as if he's, uh, uh father talking to his baby yeah. uh, it was it's really touching yeah absolutely yeah um but you know you talk about the the uh awards the film did uh very well in sort of the british circuit uh it was nominated for lots of things um yeah it 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 uh it did i mean it's it's duncan's first film he'd been directing commercials up to this point and it's his first film, so you know a number of the uh, awards I believe that he, that he was recognized with, uh, like at the BAFTAs, he got an award for a special achievement by a British director, writer, or producer in their first film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got a number of those sorts of films, and he did he did a good job. You know, he I think a lot of people really liked him over here, not so much. It it kind of disappeared. I I remember hearing about it. I remember seeing the posters. I don't know. It probably opened at the Art House Theater near me, but that's probably it. Yeah, you didn't see it in the theater when it came out. No, no, I didn't. I completely missed it. Yep, me too. Yeah. Uh, Sadly, I think this is... uh, This is a great film, but it... uh, And I I should add, um, uh, apparently... Duncan Jones is is has this uh, designs to do a trilogy. You know, I've I've heard him talking about a, a wide variety of stuff. I, you know, I I don't know. I'm curious to see where he's going to go. I don't know if that's something he had been talking about at the time when he was in the kind of the festival circuit with this, um, or if that's something that he's still planning on talking or planning on doing. I don't know. I'm curious to see where he goes with this because he went from this to uh, source code which i don't right. believe is what he had been um talking about doing at the time he'd been talking about doing a, a film set in berlin i believe was his next film that he'd been planning and then he went and did source code which i absolutely love and which i i still say is a the spiritual sequel to uh, the short film i did in college mm-hmm. uh totally um, the weight, which I, I just put on, on YouTube. I'll have to put a link in the show notes. <laughs> yes, you should. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, he has said uh, as recently as, uh, gosh, June of last year that he was moving forward with a, uh, a graphic novel version of a prequel, uh, which he says is a, quote, love letter to Blade Runner. Hmm. Uh, uh, he was not able to get uh, to secure funding. He probably should have gone to Kickstarter. <laughs> and uh and so he's going with a with a graphic novel prequel to moon and that uh so there's something yeah so um uh, let's see what else stands out to you particularly in the in the production uh we've already talked about that you know once you get over the fact that there's no uh 
there's no gravity. Uh, it's you know I I just think that they did a really great job of of developing uh, well I should say of using and then further developing the essence of filming a story with the same actor playing multiple roles. I mean, this is a technique that's you know been in cinema for a very long time. It probably goes back a lot, uh, all the way back to the beginnings of cinema. I'm sure that they found a way to do split screen and all that. My earliest recollection, which I'm like I said, I'm sure they did it before this, but is Freaky Friday from the 70s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's what I remember as kind of seeing Haley, the two Haley Mills on screen together. And that was a technique where they did a split screen, where they'd film a scene, they'd have the camera locked down, they'd have a little Haley Mills act, and and half of the screen would be covered up, and then they would kind of cover up the other half, and they'd have Haley Mills change clothes and put her on the other side of the frame, and they'd ha- they'd back the film up and they'd film that other half. Obviously, that technique has developed quite a bit. You look at Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers, they did a masterful job there. And then you look at what they did here in Moon with the two different... Um, parts they did a lot of split screen with him they did uh body doubles they had at times they had a um a guy i can't remember his name uh, robert chalk robin chalk who um it was about sam rockwell's size i believe and had like a green screen hood on and that way sam rockwell could interact with him a little better and then they do face replacement but then they also did just a lot of great stuff where they would just film sam by himself acting a scene and he would have an earbud in um, on the next go around of the scene playing his take that they picked from the first scene. And he would basically have that earbud in playing it and he would be acting and he would know where he was standing and he would just look and he would be acting with himself, listening to himself in his earbud. And <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. And then you, so that was amazing and then you see scenes like the ping pong table scene where uh you know he actually dives across the table and the way that they were able to play with the different wipes in order to make that work and even the um there it's a a, a scene toward the end i believe where um uh, sam five is not feeling very well and sam six comes in and he like puts his hand on his forehead and feels his temperature and then he says come on man put your hat on and he takes the hat out of his pocket and puts mm-hmm. it on his head there's a lot of interaction going on there and they were able to just using all these different techniques create this situation where it seems like i swear there are two sam rockwells uh, in the frame at the same time and at a certain point it even gets to three sam rockwells it's it's really stunning how they worked that technology to make you feel like it was actually happening and it's funny sam rockwell says this film is it's hard for him to watch because it's like an exercise in narciss- narcissism <laughs> he says, he's like i just can't watch it it's too hard for me to see that much of myself <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic he, he you know there is uh, that's that's one thing you bring up that the you know all of the expertise with which they handle uh the the multiple personality angle of this film is is absolutely unquestioned you know yeah. what i mean like there is no point when i think to myself okay there's they're doing some sort of crazy effects i believe that there is a twin and a triplet yeah. of sam rockwell on this on screen i you know i wonder how much of that you know i don't know much about this gary shaw he hasn't done a whole lot other than before Moon. Well, it looks like he was a he was big into motion control. He was a motion control cameraman. 
And and he was, I think he had done some music videos or some commercials, I'm sorry, yeah. with Duncan. I think that's where they had met. And um, yeah, and they just kind of came on together and they used a lot of motion control. All of the moving shots in this, the basically the way that it works with, I think, one of the ones that they were using is the DP gets the shot the first time. And once they're, once everyone is happy with exactly what happened, how the actor performed, the movement of the camera and everything like that, they I don't know what they do. They, they lock it in or something. And then that motion control system will basically repeat everything with that move over and over and over and over again. So they could have you know, Sam six, then he could, he could do the scene doing his part of it. Then the special effects team, they would have the little Gertie box that they were pushing around and they would move that through the scene so that, and then the CG people could come in and kind of clean that up and they would do that over and over again. And that way, when you take all those elements and you lay them on top of each other and you rotoscope out, so it's just all the right pieces, you have a, a shot that looks like everything was in the frame at the exact same time everything is smooth the frames match up perfectly and it's 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 a great tool to be able to use it's like cheating it is but it it just, <laughs> it it looks so good it looks so good yeah ah uh, what a great film it is uh, they they this was a low low budget film you know talking about yeah. sunshine last week which had a lot of money to play with i mean sunshine like i i said last week had you know, a $40 million production budget. This had a $5 million production budget, much, much smaller. They uh, had some marketing money in there that brought it up to 8.5 IC, but still it, that's a very low budget. And they shot it. In... And since, I mean, since 4 million of that probably went to Spacey, <laughs> right? you know, this <laughs> extremely low budget. It's, it is. And they shot it in 30, I think 33 days uh, on the set, and then they, I believe, they had eight days of model work and green screen to shoot, um, wow. which is not a lot. Although, funny, I just happened to watch Flight, um, Robert Zemeckis' film yeah. from last year. Um, finally catching up with that great film. And that they shot that little character piece, as Robert Zemeckis calls it, which is, you know, I think like a $31 million budget, something like that. But they shot that in the same number of days. So it is it doesn't have to uh, mean that a big budget film has to be like shooting for 60 or 70 days. Suddenly it sort of feels like Moon took too long. <laughs> they should have they should have got that done in 10 in days, like 10 days. <laughs> it's like a play. It's all Sam Rockwell. It, well, what it boils down to is they just have a lot more people on set mm -hmm. when you're doing a, a big Zemeckis film. Hmm. But yeah, so they, they really cranked this out. They built one set, the, the big moon base, the lunar base, and then a bunch of models. And uh, yeah, they just went to town and got it all done. And it's, I, I don't know, I, I felt they did an amazing job with it. The production uh, the production design, uh, you know, a, a, one way that they got away with using a lot of the CG um, in a very effective way is more so than the CG, they used a lot of models so that when they did use CG, they were able to make sure they put the right amount of money into it. And using the models, they had uh, Bill Pearson, who actually had been doing model design back all the way back on Alien. And he came on board to help with some of the, the models and everything. So they, they found a lot of people to help make this the right way for a science fiction film that kept the money on screen without having to 
you put too much on in CG or too much to actors, anything like that. Hmm. It's it's uh, it's fantastic. Everything you're. I mean, I uh, I couldn't tell the models either. Yeah, it shows I, that I'm not watching closely enough. Well, maybe. but but the, what they do is they use models like all the stuff on the moon with the with the the rovers and the helium three harvesters. Right. All of that is models. Right. It's like it's, models. it's like a giant. You know, I can't remember how big they said this thing was. Of basically, it's like kitty litter that they made this moon model with, and then they had these big rover things that they would just pull across with strings. But then they would have the special effects company come in behind that. And, you know, Duncan was very meticulous about wanting all of the stuff on the moon to look accurate. So all the dust behind them and everything, he made sure that they had this nice parabolic arc because there is no um, atmosphere on the moon and the, the gravity is so light, everything needed to have this nice flow as it left. And so he really made sure that they worked hard on developing all that sort of stuff. So any of the dust particles, any of the bounce, a lot of that stuff, they came in afterward and added. So the models have all been enhanced with CG, which is possibly why you didn't recognize well, it. Well, you know, it either shows how jaded I am. My assumption is the entire thing's CG at this point. So, uh, But, you know, you're right. It was, it was a... Uh, for for the budget, it's a it is an absolutely incredible setscape. Yeah, really, it's is. beautiful. They do a fantastic job. I you know it just uh, just to kind of wrap up my thoughts a little bit. I, I you know I think you you hit what what is happening in this film. The layers um, on this film that that just get teased out over the course of you know the hour and thirty minutes, whatever it is uh, that they're that we're dealing with Rockwell's potential delusions his his sam bell's un, unraveling yeah. we're dealing with the uh general paranoia of uh, of industry mm-hmm. right uh and uh you know we're dealing with um then ultimately the the fear of you know losing our lives in a of in a place that is extremely isolated sort of the loneliness that comes from you know what does it mean to die alone you know what does it mean when you know in, in the scape of identity to 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 die alone um just because you have these memories of somebody else do you uh does that merit uh, you know you being remembered right when none of these sand bells will be um i think it operates at so many wonderful levels it is it is by set piece a sort of hard sci-fi but it could be set anywhere, I think, and uh, you know, and and I think we it it stands on the performances of these character of of these characters of these <laughs> Sam Rockwells. Right. Uh, it is uh, you know I think I just uh, saw this this Empire quote, uh, you know, that they called his performance one of the ten egregious o- Oscar snubs. Yeah. Um. Uh. For for Sam Rockwell and I, you know. This is another one. The more I, the more I think about it, the more I watch it, the more I, I appreciate it. Well, here, let me throw something your way. These are the five actors nominated for Best Actor that year. Mm-hmm. George Clooney for Up in the Air, Jeremy Renner for The Hurt Locker, both films we've talked about on mm-hmm. the show, Morgan Freeman for Invictus, I haven't seen that one, Colin Firth for A Single Man, and Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart, who won that year. Yeah. Where do you think Sam Rockwell could have been in this crowd? I I feel like he could. I feel like 
he brought a lot to the table, creating two characters playing off of each other. You know, mm-hmm. I, I felt he was strong. I mean, I haven't seen Invictus. My wife said it was terrible. Um, she Invictus? said Invictus? Yeah, she said it was terrible. She's a little hard on it. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I thought it was great. I, I quite liked it. Um, but, uh, gosh, I, I think <laughs> this is, I don't know. I, I don't know. We've never talked about Crazy Heart, but I was very surprised that Jeff Bridges was nominated. Really? Interesting. Yeah, I had a I, really hard time with that movie. I I was, I, you know, okay. So I, I wasn't crazy about that. I So knock him out, and I think Sam Rockwell's a lock. See, I would say lock, knock Morgan Freeman out. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. He could have knocked it out. I, but the, the other three... Um, I would not remove any of those. I Colin would not Fr- remove Fr- any Renner, of those, George no. Clooney, they were so solid in their given roles. I love Jeff Bridges. I really enjoyed Crazy Heart. I enjoyed him in Crazy Heart. If I were to give Jeff Bridges an Oscar, it would not be for Crazy Heart. Yeah. I think he's done many other greater films. Um, it's one of those things, though. Did they give it to him that year because he hadn't won one yet? A lot of people think so. I don't know. I, I'm not going to argue it. Um, but my wife said Morgan Freeman just was Morgan Freeman in Invictus. He, I mean, playing well, Nelson Mandela, but it just it came yeah. across as just a very Morgan Freeman-y sort of performance. That that was going to be my my next comment. Like uh, Morgan Freeman was nominated because you know, frankly, he's really he's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> you know, he'll I probably know. get nominated for Oblivion. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it is um, it is who he is. He's the guy who gets nominated. But yeah. you know he he's a seat filler at this point. That's really rude. That's not true. That's we love terrible. you, Morgan Freeman. That's really cool. you're that good that we can we can tease. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna come knock on your door one day. And... <laughs> you're gonna be so mad. He's gonna take your Morgan Freeman uh, fan club card. <laughs> My posters. He's gonna take all the posters down. Yep. Yep. Your your uh, chain reaction uh. poster that you have. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> Chain reaction. That's right. That was good. Yeah, oh. or, or or hard rain. He'll he'll take that poster too. <laughs> Man, oh. you're on fire. You're on fire. Oh, God. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. If only. A... <laughs> <sighs> He's got some stinkers in there. He really oh, does. You know, Andy. Oceans rise. Cities fall. Hope survives. Deep impact. There you go. Oh God! Don't, don't, <sighs> right. there, there's another apocalypse movie. That should have <laughs> I I wanted. Okay, so I'm gonna do. We're, we're gonna talk about this after the show. I got I got a thing that after we finish recording. So let's let's wrap this up because I'm, okay. I'm done talking. But we need to we need to rank it. Okay, you, well, I'm sure you have more. I I do have a few things. So right. let me just ramble through them real quick. So first of all, just we started talking budget. Let me finish with budget. Uh, it. Made domestically five million, internationally four point seven, so total gross about nine point seven. So of all the movies we've talked about, um, that we have like full budget and profit information for, Moon is the lowest grossing profitable film per finished minute that we've talked about because it, it made it seven dollars. It well, it it actually made uh, almost thirteen thousand per finished minute. Not a lot, but wow. it's 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 not up there with the four point three million that yeah. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull made. Wow! So that's that. All right. Next, um, this was just a funny thing to think about. Next time you watch it, 
um, Sam Rockwell and Duncan Jones talking about the different Sams, Sam five and six, and kind of coming up with a different uh, vibe for each of them. Sam Rockwell went with Dustin Hoffman for Midnight Cowboy for Sam five. And he went with a Clint Eastwood for uh, uh, for Sam six. And I think it's funny when you when you hear that and then you watch the movie and you put it you in can context. Totally see it. It totally is those guys. Oh, it's absolutely. It totally is. That's great. Yep, very funny. Uh, and the last little thing I you know I felt because I gave some fun facts about the sun last week. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna fun fact the moon. That I I felt like I should. I felt you like I should totally should. You fun fact that you fun fact that moon, Andy. So the moon is thought to be nearly 4.5 billion years old. It formed shortly after the Earth. At least that's what they hypothesize right now. The uh, at this point, as as you probably do know, the uh, the U.S. astronaut program is the only uh, manned missions to the moon to date that have been successful and. There were six that we know of that we know of, right? And there were six manned lunar landings, all happening between '69 and '72. And after '72, uh, that was kind of the end of it. And it, uh, there have been unmanned spacecraft going back to the moon. Um, there was the final Soviet Lunokhod rover in '72, and then in since 2004, other like the U.S., Japan, China. India, uh, the European Space Agency, I love that they have that, have sent lunar orbiters to kind of orbit the moon and stuff like that. But I think what's really fun about the moon is that there is an actual outer space treaty that a lot, that, that they made for the moon so that exploration of the moon would be free to all nations to explore for peaceful purposes. That's great. That seems very pragmatic. It is very pragmatic. It was very smart of people to create. Hmm. You don't see that kind of pragmatism anymore. 101 countries have uh, have signed the treaty. Another 27 have signed but have not ratified it. So we'll see what happens with those ones. Let me guess. Uruguay. <laughs> Actually, you're not far off. Uh, Bolivia is one of them. Bolivia? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't know what to say about that. They do. Those are your fun facts? Those are it. Those are my fun facts. Well done. Well done. This should be a regular thing where Andy fun facts (laughs) us on something. Oh, and just verb the fun fact. And helium three is a real thing that is thought to be on the moon. So that's 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 an interesting little bit of fact that they use to create this science fiction, which I enjoy. That's science fact. Science fiction. That's fi- fiction. That's science. Science speculation. <laughs> it's something. Let's uh, let's flick chart this thing. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Moon or Looper? Well, I'm going to say Moon. Yeah, I'm kind of torn. I I think I would enjoy watching Looper more often, but I enjoy thinking about Moon more often. Mm-hmm. So we'll go with Moon. All right. Um. Oh. That's weird. Hold on. I have to start all over again. Oh, sometimes I hope, if you... I, I hope I don't change my mind. <laughs> I hope you don't too. Okay. Moon. I see. It just always jumps to the same things. Moon or Zero Dark Thirty. 
Zero Dark Thirty. Absolutely. Moon or the Descent? I like thinking about both of these films. Yeah, but I enjoy watching The Descent more. I just think from beginning to end, everything is right yeah. about the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Descent. I agree. Moon or The Born Identity? Born Identity. Yeah. Moon or The Sandlot? <laughs> That's a fun one. Hmm. I, you know, I'm going to say Moon, but no offense, Sandlot. <laughs> I'll agree. I'll agree. Moon or thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Yeah, that's my pick. All right, there we go. Number 37. All right, that's okay. That is merely a testament to the fact that we talk about a lot of really great movies. It's absolutely true. Yeah. So good. Well done, Andrew. So next week we are, uh, man, we are wrapping up yeah. our. Uh, our original sci-fi that you know what we didn't talk about and this we should talk about next week this let's make a note that i i think we should just talk a little bit about original sci-fi and what it means to us after we talk about all four of these movies yeah uh because next week we're going to be picking up with ethan hawk and uma thurman mm-hmm. in 1997's gattaca mm-hmm. from andrew nickel um very much looking forward to this film. I remember really, really loving this movie, and I haven't seen it in probably four or five years. So, Oh, good. Uh, I'm I looking forward that, to watching it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, great film. So that's coming Gattaca next week, and um, and then we move on to something new. And then we start a new series. Yeah, it's a short little original sci-fi series, but but full of great Film. Well, it, you know what's come out of it for me is just this uh, a list of other great original sci-fi films that we really need to, you know, foundational sci-fi films that we, I think we can we can talk about uh, next year when we do Absolutely. this again. Absolutely. All right. I got nothing else. You got anything else? I don't think so. All right. Hey, thanks, man. Good talk. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>